Hear the word of the Lord from Luke. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. All right. Join me in prayer. Dear Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to come and to worship you and to learn from your word. And as we look at this parable that Jesus has told us of the Good Samaritan, I pray that our hearts would be open to what you would say to us, that we wouldn't approach it as the lawyer who is trying to justify himself, but that we would uh, submit ourselves to what it is that you are calling us to do from this passage and help us to be able to see clearly what you would have us do as compassionate neighbors to those in need. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, thank you. You may be seated. So we're in the third week of our Redeemer on Missions Emphasis. And in the first week, uh, Pastor Jamie spoke to us from the Great Commission in Matthew 28 to answer the question, what is the mission? And he showed us that God's mission is carried out through God's people, empowered by God's Spirit to take God's gospel to the ends of the earth. And then last week we had LJ up here telling us about how God has called us to go there, showing us in Revelation 5 the picture of the throne with people from every tongue and every tribe and every nation worshiping Christ. And we see that Jesus redeems us and gives us the responsibility to serve his as ambassadors and ministers of reconciliation, making disciples to the ends of the earth. This week, we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan and see how God is calling us to go here with the gospel. To go here as compassionate neighbors, sacrificially sharing Jesus' love with those around us. You know, for over 30 years, Fred Rogers started out Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood the same way, singing a little song to invite us, actually to some extent to plead with us and to beg us to be his neighbor. And when we think of the word neighbor, oftentimes we think about proximity. We think about the person that lives next to us or across the street from us or maybe a couple houses down the street from us. And it's all about how close physically we're located in space. But we know that when Mr. Rogers is pleading with us to be his neighbor, he's speaking to something much deeper than that and something much more meaningful than that. We know that he's not singing a song to say, hey, guess what? The house next to me is for sale, and I know that you're going to keep the yard mode, so why don't you come on and move in? 
He's not just calling us to a real estate transaction. And part of the reason we know that is because of what he used his show to do. What was really groundbreaking about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood is that he didn't see his mission to entertain children, though he did. And he didn't see his mission to educate children, though he did that as well. But what was really unique about Mr. Rogers is he saw that there were emotional needs that children had that weren't being addressed. And he had compassion on those children, and he did something about that. And that's why one of the most famous Mr. Rogers episodes is when JFK was assassinated, and Mr. Rogers took it head on to deal with the emotions that kids would have been going through. That was his very first season. Doing some, Nothing like that had ever been done before. It was a huge risk for him to do that. If it hadn't gone over well, it would have been the end of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood right there in season one. But he took the risk because he saw the need and he had compassion. And when Jesus in this passage is calling us to be a neighbor, we know that Jesus isn't just telling us that we need to live next to other people, but he's calling us to something deeper, something more personal, something more relational, something more meaningful. And so that's why we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan today and see how we are called to go here as compassionate neighbors, sacrificially sharing Jesus' love with those around us. We're going to look at that in four different ways. First, that we are called to go here as a compassionate neighbor to those in need. Second, that we're to go here as a compassionate neighbor no matter who is in need. Third, that we're to go here as a compassionate neighbor even when it requires sacrifice. And then fourth, that we are to go here as a compassionate neighbor, just as Jesus has been a compassionate neighbor to us. But before we really get into that, we have to take a warning from this passage and apply it to ourselves. You see, this whole parable is told in the context of a man who's trying to justify himself for not loving his neighbor. We see that in the beginning of the passage when it says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So not a genuine inquiry, but to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? You have kind of a, a moment that's a lot like uh, one we know from history of, of a moment of trying to define what exactly the meaning of the word is, is. And so we love Austin, so I'm going to refrain from making any attorney jokes at this time. But the truth is that all of us are given to self-justification. It's the way that our hearts naturally respond to conviction and to challenge. I used to think that we were rational beings who took facts and evaluated facts and then drew conclusions from those facts. But the truth is, the way that our hearts work is that we come to conclusions, and then based on those conclusions, we evaluate the facts. We are tend to, to justify ourselves, and so we have to be really careful as we go through this passage that we're not like the lawyer justifying ourselves as it starts to lay conviction on us. See, often when we look at some of the hard passages and the hard sayings of Jesus, one of the very first things we do is we try to step out from under what Jesus is trying to say. So a classic example is the parable of the rich, it's not a parable, the story of the rich young ruler, because it's a real life story. 
as soon as we read that and we see where Jesus says, sell all you have, give to the poor and follow me, we immediately say, oh, he's not saying that to me. He's just saying that to him. Now, I'm not here today to say that he is saying that to you, but what I am here to say is that we don't need to just make that step right away. We need to let the weight of that passage sit on us and wrestle with it with the Holy Spirit and ask ourselves, what is God calling me to do with this passage? And so we have to be careful here because this whole passage is, is in the context of somebody who is trying to self-justify. And we want to make sure as we look at the claims that it has on us that we don't try to just take ourselves out from under what God would call us to do, but that we really take seriously the call of God and what he wants us to do first. So to get in, we're called to go here as compassionate neighbors and especially to be a compassionate neighbor to those in need and especially those in need of the gospel. See, when you look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, the, the real key word that helps you understand what's going on is the word compassion. So when we look in the story, starting in verse 30, Jesus says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. It's compassion that is the difference between the priest and the Levite and the Good Samaritan. The priest saw the need, and he had no compassion, so he passed by. And the Levite saw the need but he had no compassion, and so he passed by. But the Good Samaritan saw the need, and he did have compassion. And so he responded from that compassion and became a compassionate neighbor. Compassion was the difference, and Jesus calls us to see the needs around us and to respond with compassion. So now what is compassion? It's really simple. It's, it's as simple as seeing a need and doing something about it. Seeing a need and doing something about it. That is compassion. Too often we can be like the person that James describes in James chapter 2, verses 15 to 16, where he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Too often we are like that. We see the need, we speak about the need, but do we respond to the need? Or do we pass them by? And when we look at people around us, we know that the greatest need that people actually have for compassion isn't just their physical needs, but their spiritual needs. And it's the need for the gospel. See, the wounded man in this parable was beaten half to death, but Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 makes it clear that apart from Christ, we are all the way dead. And in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and he makes it very, very clear that the impoverished, sick, dying man was in a much better place than the healthy, rich man that was lost. Because the poor and sick and dying man believed, and the rich man did not. So that's not to say we should ignore the physical needs or the needs of believers, because I'm calling us in this passage to really see those needs just as Angel saw those needs, just as Dylan saw those needs, and to have compassion on them. 
Jesus, we see, showed consistent compassion for both physical and spiritual needs throughout his ministry. He balanced both. He addressed both. And so we are called to address both. But we know that if we just address the physical without also addressing the spiritual, we're doing nobody any good. And as we go through life and we see people who don't know Christ, there's three basic ways that we can see them and look at them. The first is with judgment. To look at them and say, oh, that evil, sinful person, how evil and sinful they are. I can't believe how evil and sinful they are. If only they were righteous like us. Judgment. The second one is indifference. To look in and to see the need and to just pass by. To go on my day as if it doesn't matter, as if I don't care. Even though I, I know where that person, I believe, is headed. But nonetheless, I just keep on going with indifference. And the third is to stop and to have compassion and to care and to love that person, and to want to share the gospel with them. See, sharing the gospel with the lost around us should not be out of a sense of guilt, or out of a sense of duty, or an extra bonus because we're really good Christians, and we want to be really good Christians, and so we share the gospel. But instead, we should be moved by compassion for the lost who are around us. So we are called to go here as compassionate neighbors, sacrificially sharing Jesus' love with those around us. We are called to go here as a compassionate neighbor to those in need, especially in need of the gospel. And then our next point is that we are called to go here as a compassionate neighbor no matter who is in need. No matter who is in need. So when we look at this passage, we know it's in the context of a lawyer who's trying to justify himself. And we see a, a priest who passes by and is in some way or another justifying himself. And we see a Levite who passes by and in some way or another is justifying himself. But the passage never tells us what it is that they're thinking and they use for their justification. So to understand the things in this passage that tempt us to justify ourselves and to pass by, we have to look at all the things that the Good Samaritan could have used as reasons to stop, but he didn't. And the very first one of those is who the wounded man was on the side of the road. See, in the story, the wounded man would have been a Jew, and the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They absolutely 100% hated each other. There's religious reasons for that, ethnic reasons, historical reasons, political reasons, any reason you could name they had to hate each other. It was so much so that in John chapter 4, when Jesus goes to a Samaritan woman at the well and asks for a drink, she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She can't believe that he would even stop and ask her for a drink. The closest analogy I could think of would be a white person in the Jim Crow era going up and asking for a drink from the colored water fountain. I mean, it's, it's just, it's such a, a concept in this time that they wouldn't, they wouldn't even imagine asking for a drink. That's how much division there was between these two. And so the good Samaritan could very easily assume that if their roles were reversed and he was on the side of the road, that that Jew would have just passed him by could have easily assumed that there is no way that that man would have helped him. Yet, his compassion was greater than the man's identity. All people are made in God's image with inherent dignity and worth, and Jesus died for people regardless of their race, their gender, their religion, their socioeconomic status, their lifestyle, their morality, or their life choices. So we can never let who someone is keep us from showing compassion to them. 
In fact, those most in need of the gospel and those most in need of compassion are often most unlike us. They believe another religion. They may come from another country and speak another language. They may live in poverty. They may be liberal Democrats or even socialists or from another political spectrum than you. They may be openly sinful and immoral. Do we judge them for who they are? Do we set them aside with indifference? Or do we have compassion on them? Just think about the ways that often our culture will talk about the poor, about single moms, about immigrants, about Muslims, about people of different races, about LGBTQ people, about people who are of other political persuasions than themselves. When you turn on the news and look at political commentary, do you see the love of Christ reflected in the things that are said? Our rhetoric tends to be completely lacking compassion in our culture towards these, but we are called to have compassion to people no matter who they are. Oh, sorry, my pages got flipped. All right. And aren't we all glad that Jesus sought us out, even though we had the wrong ethnicity, the wrong religion, the wrong morality, and the wrong politics? And the thing is that if we aren't intentional to reach out to those who are most unlike us, the gospel will not go to them. It's an amazing thing that God has brought people from all over the world, from places where they could never hear the gospel, to live here in the middle of the Bible Belt where they're surrounded by the gospel, and yet so many of them never will hear the gospel because those of us who know it haven't gone to them in compassion to share it with them. We see them here and close to us, and yet we go, we go through our lives with indifference to those who don't have it. We are called to such compassion that we will intentionally go to those whom we feel are most undeserving with the gospel, just as we were most undeserving for the gospel. So we are called to go here as compassionate neighbors, as compassionate neighbors to those in need, especially in need of the gospel, to compassionate neighbors, no matter who is in need, no matter how undeserving we may think they are. And we are called to go here as a compassionate neighbor, even when it requires sacrifice. If there's anything that truly keeps us from compassion, it's often an unwillingness to make sacrifices and take risks for the sake of others. When we look at the Good Samaritan here, he had to take, make a lot of sacrifices and take a lot of risks to help this wounded man. You can see it in verse 34 and verse 35. It says, He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. So first, the Good Samaritan had to sacrifice his time. He was on his way somewhere, and it would have been an inconvenience for him to stop. So, you know, he's not just wandering down this road. This isn't a place where you go out for a stroll, like in the park. He's trying to do something, get somewhere, but he's stopping and taking the time to help. Second, he had to take a huge risk. You see, he faced the very same threat that the injured man did. For all he knew that the robbers were still hiding somewhere behind some rocks, waiting to jump out on whoever was kind enough to stop and help the wounded man, because they would have known that that person wouldn't have been paying enough attention because he'd be busy helping. 
So there's a great risk there. And he actually increases the risk when he takes the wounded man and puts him on his animal. Because when you're on foot, it's a lot harder to get away from robbers than when you're on an animal. So just think about it. If you're on a road and there's robbers chasing after you, would you rather be on foot or would you rather be on a horse? A horse, right. (laughs) So you can get away a lot faster when you're on the animal. And so he's actually increasing his level of risk by putting the wounded man on his animal. He's making a sacrifice of his own comfort. We're in the Middle East. It's hot. He's having to walk for miles now instead of being able to ride. He's having to sacrifice his money. He's spending his own money to pay for the man's care. And he sets up an open tab having no idea how much more it's going to cost, saying, I'll come back and pay it. And all of this for some nameless stranger who he's supposed to hate, who's lying on the road, and his culture would have told him he should be glad was dying. He took all of these risks and made all of these sacrifices. But often it is these same costs or risks that keep us from compassion towards our lost neighbor. What I want to do for a moment is go through these different areas and ask ourselves some questions, some diagnostic questions, if you will. And I want you to know with each one of these, I find these questions to be highly convicting. So I'm asking these, this is weighing very heavily on on me. First, with our time. Am I so busy that I can't find compassion in my schedule? Do I have so much going on that I don't have time to show other people compassion? Is there anyone I've never shared the gospel with just because I was too busy to find time to build a relationship? And is there anyone I've never helped because I just didn't feel like I had the time to do it? Am I willing to sacrifice my time? When we look at risk... Have I ever let the fear of rejection, ridicule, or messing up keep me from compassion? Is there anyone I've never shared the gospel with because I'm afraid that I will mess up and they will reject me? Do I ever let the fear for my own safety keep me from showing compassion towards those who are in unsafe places? Am I willing to take risks for compassion? And then comfort. Comfort is the chief idol of American suburbia. So just so you know, I grew up in suburban Dallas, and Dallas is actually a massive suburb that masquerades as a city. And I grew up in a suburb of that suburb, and our suburb had suburbs, so I know suburbs. Um, Whether I like it or not, there's a part of me that is suburban born and suburban bred, and when I die, I will be suburban dead. And so I know very well that comfort is our chief idol. As Baal was to Canaan, so comfort is to us who are suburban in our sensibilities. And there's, there seems to be nothing that we're, we're harder to give up than our comfort. So have I ever allowed my own comfort to keep me from compassion? Is there anyone I've never shared the gospel with because it's awkward and felt uncomfortable to do so? Is there anyone I've not helped because getting to know that person or helping that person who's very different from me is an uncomfortable thing? Is my comfort an idol that I can't let go of for compassion? And then the last one is money. And and really, of these four, this is probably the one that's easiest for us to do. When you look at the story that Jesus tells of the the widow's might of the widow who puts in two coins while the rich are giving large sums out of their abundance. 
we have been blessed. It's not a bad thing, but we have been blessed to where we have the opportunity to be the rich, giving from the large sums that they have. Um, whether you realize it or not, if you're in this room and you make $32,400 a year or more, you are in the top 1% worldwide. Um, and so we tend to be, have the opportunity to be the rich, putting in large sums. But nonetheless, we should ask ourselves, do I ever allow my love of money to keep me from compassion? Are there ways that God is calling me to give more, but I'm not comfortable giving it? And I'm letting that keep me from compassion. So we, we can't let sacrifice or risk keep us from sharing the gospel as a compassionate neighbor. We are called to go here as a compassionate neighbor, even if it takes sacrifice. So we're called to go here as a compassionate neighbor to those in need, especially in need of the gospel. We're called to go here as a compassionate neighbor, no matter who is in need. We're called to go here as a compassionate neighbor, even when it requires sacrifice. And lastly, we're called to go here as a compassionate neighbor, just as Jesus is a compassionate neighbor to us. At the very end of the parable, Jesus gives us a challenge. He says to the man, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. He says to me, go and do likewise. He says to you, go and do likewise. But when Jesus calls us to go and do likewise, he's not calling us to do so just because he said so. He's calling us to be like him. See, the, good, the story of the Good Samaritan is a lot like the story of Jesus' compassion to us. Only the story of Jesus' compassion to us is much greater than the story of the Good Samaritan. You see, in our story, we're on the side of the road, but we're not half dead. Spiritually, we're all the way dead. And we're not lying there because of something that some robbers have done to us. We are lying there because of what we have done to ourselves with our own sin. And when Jesus comes by, he really has every reason not to have compassion on us. Because you see, not only are we not the right ethnicity, and we're not the right religion, and we're not good moral people, but just a few miles up the road, we were the robbers. And Jesus was the victim. And we didn't just beat him half dead, nor did we beat him mostly dead, but we beat him all the way to dead, dead. And in our story, he doesn't just bandage our wounds, but he saves our souls. In our story, he doesn't just take us to an inn, but he brings us into his family as his father's adopted children. And in our story, he doesn't just leave us with a few coins, but he gives us his Holy Spirit. And in our story, it doesn't just cost him a few days' wages, it costs him his very life. And in our story, when he returns to settle accounts, he doesn't just pay off a tab to an innkeeper, but he brings into being a new heavens and a new earth where there is no more sin and no more suffering, and we worship God face to face forever. When Jesus tells us to go and do likewise, he's not calling us to follow an example from a story that he made up. He's calling us to follow his own example to show compassion. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost, and he calls us to go here and do likewise as a compassionate neighbor, just as Jesus is compassionate to us. So, what we've seen today, we are called to go here as a compassionate neighbor, sacrificially sharing Jesus' love with those around us.
Called to go here as a compassionate neighbor to those in need, especially in need of the gospel. Called to go here as a compassionate neighbor no matter who is in need. Called to go here as a compassionate neighbor even when it requires sacrifice. And called to go here as a compassionate neighbor as Jesus is compassionate to us. So with all of that, what should we actually do? The first thing is I want to remind us of something that LJ shared with us last time, and that is that missions is not for mature followers of Christ, but is how followers of Christ mature. So we don't need to go out and achieve a certain level of spirituality before we start showing compassion to other people. We should start out with the steps that are right in front of us. And the second thing that LJ shared with us that's really helpful is that missions is intentional. So we don't ever accidentally show compassion to other people. And nobody's ever accidentally shared the gospel with someone else. We have to be intentional to do these things. And what we want to do first is just start with something easy. Start with something simple. We don't have to start out trying to save the world. And that's what I love about the examples we've had so far with our local partners, with Dylan and with Angel, is that both of them saw a need and they started with just one small step of what they could do at the time. Neither one of them just jumped straight into full-time doing what they're doing today, but instead they saw one small need and they took that first step. So it could be, let's find some small steps. You could bring a meal to your next door neighbor. You could have a spiritual conversation with someone at work. You could pray weekly for someone you know who's lost. Pray together with a lost friend for suffering that they're going through. Pick a local ministry and do a one-time volunteer opportunity. Start with something easy. Start with something small. Let's go ahead and start with compassion. And another thing I would call us to do is to make a commitment not to pass people by when they show you their need. When it comes to what's going on in people's lives, it's a lot like walking through a neighborhood. And as you walk down the street, if you look, all of the windows, the blinds will be pulled closed because that's what we do. We're private people. In America, right? So all the blinds are pulled down and you can't see what's going on inside any of the houses. But every now and then you'll pass by a house and you'll see the blinds pulled up and you can look inside and you can see what's going on. So when we're going through suffering, a lot of times we're like the house where the blinds are pulled down. But then every now and then we'll pull those blinds up and give people a quick view of what's going on in our lives. It may be something that we share in conversation. It may be a prayer request that we offer at community group. Sometimes it may even be that we're praying for somebody else's need, and in praying for their need, we mention the need that we have. So what, for, for me and my house, we have made a commitment that when somebody pulls the shades and we can see inside that brief moment, we want to lean into that. We want to walk up and knock on the door and just ask about it, follow up on it, Lean into it. See where it goes. Now, sometimes you knock on that door and the person opens and speaks to you for a moment and then you close and you, and you go on and that's all that they really wanted. Sometimes they open that door and you walk in and you're there for a long time helping them out. But when you see those shades pulled, when you see somebody give you that little glimpse into what they're doing, lean in, just ask them about it and follow up on it and, and see where it goes. A very easy way to show compassion. So then as we're taking these easy steps, one easy step and another easy step and another easy step, we want to move towards something that is harder. Because the harder it is to show compassion, the more it shows the love of Christ. So as an example, 
I know it may be harder to see in the back. What do we have here? All right, so we have a picture of a dog. What do we have here? Picture of a dog. Which one is a clearer picture of a dog? This one or this one? This one here. All right, so both are pictures of a dog. Either one we can look and we can see it's a dog, but as we layer in more and more detail and we can see the the color and the types of fur and the eyes and the whiskers and the tongue and all that, it's a more and more clear picture of a dog. So neither one is a dog. Both are a picture of a dog, but the more detail we add, the more clear that picture is. It's the same way with the compassion and the love that we show others. So if I go home today and I bake some cookies and I take them over to my next door neighbor, it shows the love of Christ. And that is a good thing. And I'm here 100% to affirm that and that those are the kinds of easy first steps that we can take. But as we layer on greater levels of sacrifice and of risk and of challenge, it shows that love more and more and more because it becomes closer and closer to the picture of the sacrifice that he has made for us and the compassion that he has made for us. So as it becomes harder to show compassion, we're moving more from the outline of the cross to filling in the details of the cross. And it becomes all the more clear the love that Jesus has for us. So as we start with something easy, let's move towards something hard. Maybe it's making a weekly commitment to a local ministry like Project Connect. Maybe it's building a relationship with someone you know who's very much unlike you to share the gospel with them. Maybe it's connecting up with a ministry that works with international uh, people in Nashville like Servant Group International or Salome Health to be able to connect. A great way that we see some people in our church doing is foster care, a very big sacrifice and costly thing to show the love of Christ to someone else. And we have to be intentional about this because in truth, here in Hendersonville, we are not surrounded by people unlike ourselves and we're not surrounded by people who have the greatest needs. So if we want to reach them with compassion, we're going to have to show some intentionality and do something hard to step outside of our normal world and reach out to them. And in the back on a back table, I have uh, just some examples of some next steps that you can take. Some are easy steps, some are harder steps, and some are really, really hard steps. Um, But just some examples back there. I encourage you to to pick one of those up and pray about what God could be calling you to do. So start with easy steps. Make a commitment to lean in. Move towards harder steps. Let us be compassionate neighbors. So we are called to go here as a compassionate neighbor sacrificially sharing Jesus' love with those around us, to go here as a compassionate neighbor to those in need, especially in need of the gospel, to go here as a compassionate neighbor no matter who is in need, to go here as a compassionate neighbor even when it requires sacrifice, and to go here as a compassionate neighbor as Jesus is a compassionate neighbor to us. So as we go out today and we see the needs that are around us, let us just imagine that those needs are singing to us, and I apologize because I said earlier, I'm going to try to sing. So let's make the most of this beautiful day, and since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Thank you. So I'm going to pray and then... um, We'll have Jamie come up and we'll do the Lord's Supper. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the compassion that you have shown us in Christ. And I pray that we 
would be called to show that same compassion to others. I pray that we would be a compassionate church that shows compassion to those within our church, to those outside of our church, and that intentionally goes to those most unlike us and most undeserving of the gospel to share and most in need of the gospel and most in need of physical needs and share the gospel and share your love with them. May we be a church characterized by compassion and known for compassion and a church that leans in when we see those opportunities for compassion. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.